Welcome to the Simply Cyber Podcast, a podcast singularly focused on helping you make and take a cybersecurity career further, faster. I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Osier, and every week, Simply Cyber brings industry experts in for honest conversations around breaking into the field, leveling up your career, and how to develop practical skills. Enjoy the show, and be sure to check out Simply Cyber on YouTube for much more content. Now let's get into the show. Um, I actually would, I don't think I've ever told anybody this, but you were the person that I saw doing Simply Cyber a year ago when I was like, you know what, I want to do what that dude's doing and I'm going to go start up cyber insecurity. And so you've been an inspiration for me longer than I think you realize. And so I truly do appreciate it. Wow. Yeah, no, I did not know that, uh, Neil. And, you know, thank you. Thank you for that. That's that's really interesting. I'm glad I'm glad I uh, inspired you and you, you're certainly crushing it. So I think, you know, you've you've made it your own truly, which is uh, super fantastic. So let, let's get into it. Right. Let me yeah. bring chat in. Right. So now chat, you you guys are part <laughs> of the stream. So welcome to the, the party. So, you know, you had talked about, in, you know, you just mentioned that I helped inspire you and, and it's quite flattering. Um, I want to I want to help understand a little bit more, Neil, like as far as influencing goes and who's influenced you. Can you talk about, you know, who's influenced you on your cybersecurity journey? Because you help a lot of people in the industry. But how how like who has helped you or what experience? What story can you share with us? No, I think um, um, I, this is going to be this. This may be a little personal. And I, I think that that's the whole purpose of having streams like this is to get a little personal. Um, you know, I, I have some professional influence, influence, people who've influenced me. And then I've got some personal ones. I want to talk about the personal ones first. Um, my dad and I didn't have the greatest relationship growing up. Um, my dad was an alcoholic. Um, his dad was an alcoholic. Um, you know, it was just it, it wasn't a great relationship. But my dad was a brilliant man. Um, and I can say that now in, in retrospect, looking back at him, I mean, he had a double E, um, you know, from North Carolina State University. And then he chose to go to a high school to teach at a high school. Um, and he taught horticulture and he taught computer science. Um, he was one of the, the first instructors in the North Carolina school district to actually bring um, Internet into the classroom back in the 90s. It was huge. And so, like, I have grown up around ham radios and robotics and computers my entire life. Um, I grew up with a computer. I, I can remember having you know, some of the oldest computers that we talk about and learning basic programming and, um, you know, just l learning how to build them and take them apart and things like that. Um, in the 90s, my dad kind of came home with this HTML book. This was probably around 94. And he said, learn this. And he threw it down in front of my mom and I. He said, learn this. It's going to be the next biggest thing in the world. And, you know, you got to remember, I grew up with bookcases with like Pascal books and COBOL books and things like that. And so getting a book on HTML, I was like, sure, flip it open and start reading HTML. Next thing I know, I was writing web pages, you know, you know, for the, the, the local school. Fast forward, my dad never supported my um, my endeavors in the military. And, you know, again, my dad and I have always had a really rough relationship. And he passed, um, you know, probably about um, about four years ago now, died of ALS. And it wasn't until he passed that I realized how big of an influence he was in my life and how big that I can contribute literally everything that I am today. <clears throat> this wasn't supposed to happen until like later in the stream. I'm not supposed to be getting emotional like super early in the stream. Um, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't never, I don't know where I'd be. I thought I wanted to be a mechanical engineer when I was in school. And so like, um, you know, having his influence has truly been the biggest, I, I from a time I can remember, I've had a keyboard in my hands mm -hmm. outside of that. Um, I, so I can't thank my dad enough. He's, you know, whatever, you know, you believe in or whatnot, hopefully he's, he's proud of what I've become. But, um, outside of that, I think one of the first real cybersecurity influencers that I had in my career, um, was Bryce Galbraith at SANS. And um, I had never met, being in cyber in the Air Force, um, I'd never met anybody who did cyber on the outside, right? I mean, if you've, we, today's Veterans Day, and so when you listen to a lot of us talk about veterans, we're very much in our own world. We're very much, 
you know, having our own um, party in the in, in the military. And so I'd never met anybody at, in, in outside cybersecurity. And so when Bryce came uh, into the 39th as we were building the first functional training unit um, down there, and we were trying to figure out how to integrate SANS because at the time CEH was the gold standard for offensive hacking certifications. And we were trying to figure out a way to get SANS integrated with that. Um, Bryce and I sat down and I actually learned more about like what was happening on the outside, what the outside cybersecurity world looked like, found out that my views and thought processes and ideas weren't too far off of what was happening on the outside. Um, and Bryce was ultimately what um, was the influence that kind of nudged me to go be a SANS instructor for five years. Um, and it's funny because I was teaching at the 39th and um, he was like, Neil, you really should come teach for SANS. Neil, you should really come teach for SANS. Neil, you should really come teach for SANS. And I kept blowing it off. And it wasn't until we went out, had a drink, had a good hard, hard conversation that I was like, okay, you know what? Go ahead and put me in for SANS. And um, I'll, you know, didn't have any expectations. And lo and behold, I ended up being a SANS instructor for, for the next five years. And so, like, he was the first real influence that made me see that there was this world of cyber that existed in corporate outside of what I'd seen in the military. And so for, for almost, almost a decade there, I thought cyber was literally just limited to, you know, the, the elites and, and inside of the, the, the military, you know, industrial complex. Um, and, and that was really my first influence when it came to seeing cyber on the outside. Oh, that's absolutely fantastic. And, and, you know, I love um, really quick that you mentioned your father, particularly a couple of people chimed in chat about, um, about, um, you know, their parents and, and it really is whether it's your dad or an uncle or mother or cousin or a teacher, whatever it is, sometimes, you know, you can't see the forest for the trees, but when you have time to really, you know, mature, look back, you know, t time kind of seasons things and has some aging. It is interesting how you can kind of uh, see the value and see that influence. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Now, Absolutely. You, you, did, you did mention SANS, um, mm -hmm. And, 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 you know, your influence there, you know, can you share, you've told me off stream before, but can you share with people what that experience of how do you become a SANS instructor? And I don't want you to go into everything. I want you to tell me what the final step is of becoming a SANS instructor. And, and, and I can't speak for what it is now versus what it was back then, but, um, um, one of the last stages that they have you go through before you become a SANS instructor is a murder board. It's not, uncommon to have some type of board presentation we're used to it in the military you know standing in front of a board and presenting in front of a board in the corporate world we're used to presenting in front of the board sans had a murder board um i was slated to do so if you're if you're not familiar with sans um and i don't mean sans as a company but just like what it used to be pre-covid there were five major events that they would run all across the u.s right vegas i think there were two in california i think there was one in dc I can't remember where the other one was. Um, I was slated to do my murder board in Vegas during network security. Um, I think it was 20, um, 2012 was when I was going to do my murder board. 2012? Um, 2013, when I was going to do my murder board. I had actually gone to network security to um, co-teach with John Strand. Um, and, um, I was, I was in there with him. And so what they have you do for a murder board is they give you a section of, um, of the content. So at this point in time, um, one of the things I was teaching the most was 504, which is the incident handling, um, and, and response course. Um, and so they gave me, um, DNS cache poisoning out of that. I still remember that to this day. And so I had to teach DNS cache poisoning. And at the time, the murder board was going to consist of John Strand, um, Ed Scotus, and Bryce Galbraith, which I was fine with. I knew all three of them. They had been at the 39th and everything else. And so I was like, cool, I got this, right? I've talked to these guys a hundred times. Um, we're in Vegas. John's obviously teaching, um, teaching 504 um, to a room full of people, about 75, 80 people in the room. And we took a lunch break and we go down to the uh, to the instructor mess. Um, God, why did I say mess? The instructor chow hall, whatever you want to call it. It, it, right? veterans day. it is Veterans Day. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> yeah, we went down to the instructor chow hall. We we ate lunch um, as an instructor cadre, and we're walking back across Caesars from halfway on the other side of Caesars, and we pass Johannes, um, which runs Internet Storm Center, and we stop and talk to Johannes. And then Eric stops by, and we stop to talk to Eric instead. And then now, before you know it, it's me, John, Johannes, Eric, Bryce comes in, Ed comes in, all these things. Eric Conrad comes in. 
Um, Rob Lee comes in. All these Sands instructors start wrapping around us. Bryce goes, Neil, aren't you supposed to be doing your murder board here before long? And I kind of shot Bryce a look. And then John said, yeah, why don't you do it now in front of all of us? And so we're in the middle of Caesars, surrounded by almost 90% of the most senior instructors in Sands. And they have... Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and they had me stand on a chair in the middle of the conference room and teach DNS cash poisoning to the most senior seniors that could have existed at Sands right there in the middle on the spot. No planning whatsoever. Yeah, that is that that that's a bit nerve wracking <laughs> and uh, intimidating, but obviously you crushed it, right? Yes, because yes. You became a Sans instructor, so but, yeah. You know, people, we talk we talk to people on on stream and in chat all the time about interviews, and you know maybe you get a panel interview and it's a bit nerve wracking because it's a little intimidating. I can't think of a more intimidating situation than trying to teach, you know, the senior Sans <laughs> instructor anything. It was um it. it, it Having been in the military, I could definitively say I was more nervous there than I think any other time in my entire career. And even post then, that to this day is hands down the most nervous that I've ever been, ever. (laughs) Yeah, that's saying something. So, yeah. So, you know, another thing that we talk about on like, you know, you and I basically we do a lot of mentorship at scale for people looking to get into the industry. And one of the things that, you know, I have said a million times and you have said a million times is networking, networking, networking is absolutely critical. Right. We've got discord. We've got all these things. So I kind of wanted to flip it to you. And can you can you share with us, Neil, uh, how you have had networking be valuable for you in your career? Because you weren't always you know, a senior level practitioner, SANS instructor type fellow, right? I mean, we all came from somewhere. Yeah. You know, like, tell us about your networking history, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I, when I first, uh, when I first thought about getting out of the Air Force, um, it was probably, so it was at the end of my first enlistment. So this was 2000 and, um, 2008, when I was looking at the, the end of my first enlistment, right? And um, I bit the bullet in 2008 and created a LinkedIn, right? And this was hype of the paranoia in the military, right? It was like, don't create a LinkedIn. The Chinese are looking for us. They're going to know you're in the Air Force. And then you're going to be, you're going to, you're going to die or you're going to get fished or who knows whatever the bad thing was going to happen. But I was looking at getting out and I realized that there was this entire social media network out there called LinkedIn. Um, that, that, you know, I realized that if I was going to get out of the air force, I knew how to write a resume because I'd been in dot coms before I ever joined the air force. Um, footnote, um, for those who didn't know, I joined the air force in 2003. I graduated high school in 97. So I had a good long window where I was working in the dot com era, uh, before I actually joined the air force. And so I'd been corporate before I was ever actually in the air force. Um, And so, like, I wasn't worried about writing a resume and I wasn't worried about the traditional job search, which was like, look for a job, send out resume, do interview, you know, that type of thing. But there was this platform out there where you could network with people and it was LinkedIn. And so I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to do it. Right. And so I, I created a LinkedIn profile, started filling it out and started to, and I had no connections, right? No, there was, there wasn't like there was a a group of folks in the air force, a predominant group in the air force where it was just like, Hey, connect with me on LinkedIn. And so I had to organically had to figure out, um, how to network on LinkedIn. And I did stupid things. I like immediately went to the, Hey, find people to connect with. And I just started clicking on people to connect with. And 24 hours later, LinkedIn had me in LinkedIn jail, like, like bad boy, bad boy. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I did that for a while and, and I decided to re-enlist in 2009, um, to, to carry out another, another four years and I didn't let my LinkedIn die. And so I just kept growing the LinkedIn and I kept networking with folks. Um, and I just kept talking to people. And I think that, that, that was about the same time that I got introduced to the guys at Sands. We were getting regular visits from different Sands instructors. Eric would come, Bryce would come, you know, you know, Ed Scotus would come. And, um, I started to develop those relationships specifically with those Sands instructors, especially knowing that my next enlistment was coming up in 2013 and I wasn't really sure what was going to happen at that next enlistment. And so I just really kind of just kept continuing to develop those relationships. And so when the decision ultimately, um, 
came for me to say, hey, I need to get out of the Air Force because of some medical issues. The first person that I actually went to um, before I ever went to a job board, before I ever went to, you know, a, a, a send out a resume at all, I actually went to Bryce. And um, I said to Bryce, I said, I want to leave the Air Force and I want to go out into the workforce as a pen tester. You used to work at McAfee at Foundstone, and I know that they have a professional services company that does pen testing. Can you get me an introduction at Foundstone if you'll vouch for me to get a role as a pen tester at Foundstone? And he was like, absolutely, I'll vouch for you. You can go on my LinkedIn. He wrote me a nice, very nice recommendation on LinkedIn back in 2013. Um, and he was like, I'll absolutely vouch for you. And he got me uh, an introduction to um, uh, to the, the director of professional services at Foundstone to be a pen tester with Foundstone. Um, that that was the moment for me that that to me that was the moment that was like there is no other way to look for a job other than networking now that doesn't mean that you can't find a job any other way and i know there's tons of people who are successful finding jobs any other way but for me when you look at that pie chart of 100 percent, and you think about like if i'm going to dedicate efforts to finding a job 80 to 90% of my effort is going into networking and the rest of it's going to go into, um, into, uh, into sending resumes out. Now, with that being said, with that knowledge in hand, the first job that I got out of the air force, the one with Foundstone didn't work out. We couldn't agree on salaries. Right. But the first job that I actually got coming out of the air force with, with fidelity was not, a, I didn't get that one through networking. The second job that I got out of the air force with the MSP, I didn't get through networking. They found me, it wasn't until after that one that the networking side started to work where they were like, hey, I know you know this person, go take this job. And and, and I saw that, that that really came to fruition. But um, that was kind of the kind of the two-sided answer to that question is I saw it working in 2013 when I was slated to get out the first time, and I knew that, that was the only way to that was the only way I was gonna try to get jobs from now on. Yeah, it, it really is an interesting point of uh, like how valuable networking is. I feel like when you don't know, um, you know, at least I felt this way going through more of a traditional undergraduate degree and, and stuff like you, you, I almost like was like, oh, people are going to desire me because I'm going to have this degree. I'm coming from university. Like I've got this. And in reality, I was so single dimensional mm -hmm. that I wasn't able to really differentiate myself. Certainly no practical hands-on skills because I wasn't trying to do that extracurricular type stuff. Um, and it, it really is a uphill battle if you're, if you're not taking advantage of that. It's like, it's like you said, I mean, it, I, I say 50% of all the jobs go to networking. And if, if it's even higher than that, it's certainly not less that if you're not doing it, then like you're literally already starting at a major disadvantage, right? With like your shoelaces tied, trying to run a race. Like, yes, you can get to the finish line, but it's going to be hard. So there's an interesting statistic, and I actually talk about this statistic in my latest video on my YouTube channel, where it's eight, over 85% of the jobs are filled through networking means. And whether that's you know hiring manager, somebody internal to a company, recruiter networking, whatever the case is, over 85% of the jobs are filled through networking. Um, we had a recruiter on stream a couple years ago or not a couple years ago, a couple months ago, God, I'm acting like I've been doing this for 15 years, um, who said that that based on her math, um, less than 3% of job applications are actually filled through submitting your your resume into a job site. Um, and so I think it's, um, you know, it's it is the most underutilized job search technique that exists out there. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, we're certainly pumping the tires on it, uh, no doubt. And if you like, just on a side, if you could send me that, uh, I would love to be able to cite that as a, as a source yeah. when I'm doing stuff like that. So let, let's take some questions from the audience because they are chomping at the bit, Neil. I had a bunch of stuff to talk about, but you know, how, <laughs> you, know, you know how the audience is. Oh, and I just want to, I just want to share for the audience also, I just went into Nightbot and disabled spam protection for excessive emoting so let the hype train fly i saw, I saw eric just dropped a bunch of fire and nightbot started yelling at her so uh see apologies let, let the emotes fly or, or somebody test it and and see i'll, I'll let you back in um so let, let's take some questions from the audience here um so uh, paul asks you know what do you suggest uh to study for CISP? and i do want to point out that I'm almost positive Paul is testing for the CISP like in a few weeks. I, mm -hmm. I actually put it on my calendar. So 
what are your thoughts around around CISP in general, uh, Neil? I'm, I, this is a terrible question to ask me. Um, I I hate the CISP. I don't think that there's anything good that you can study with with CISP. Um, we actually had a uh, uh, Brandon Crager and Joe Bork were um, were streaming Tuesday nights on cyber and security as CISSP study group. And what I what I watched as I observed them do their CISSP study groups every week, they had an amazing following. I'm, I I they got to the end of CISSP, and I think they're still trying to figure out like what they're going to do next. But um, the flat apparently they've got some flashcards out there that I, I was not aware of that um, I heard worked really, really good. Um, I think that there are some some legit websites out there with practice questions that worked really, really good. Um, I'm I, I'm I'm bearish on CISSP. Good luck to you. Um, I really haven't found what I would consider to be a good method to study for CISSP. I'd actually defer this one to Jerry on this one. Yeah. yeah well, I so I, I'm in a, a firmly in a different camp, which is nice because yeah. you and I do have different perspectives. Yeah. Um, I think the CISSP is good. I find it is is valuable as the security plus in, in the sense that the industry sees the security plus as the entry level certification. The industry sees the CISP as the mid-tier industry standard certification. So it doesn't mean that you're particularly good at one thing or another, but it does mean that you have reached a level of um, industry experience uh to put it kind of simply, that you can move into certain roles and you can take on certain um, type of um, challenges, if, if you will. That's that's how I would look at CISP. Yeah, I don't undervalue CISP's uh, gatekeeping clout, if we want to put it that way. I, I definitely think CISP has got a lot of gatekeeping clout. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think I'm bearish on it because I think I think it's a little overplayed in terms of what it is that you learn. And if you if you tune into my stream, and this, I love that Jerry and I do go back and forth on this. I'm glad he has not brought up a PhD question yet. Um, <laughs> poke, poke. Yeah. Um, I'm a fan of of a mentality that says chase knowledge, not certs. Mm -hmm. You chase certs to the point that we made earlier. If you got to do gatekeeping, right? you can't avoid it. Right. And, and it's not like I'll, you'll ever catch me as an advocate for CEH, but I do understand the gatekeeping level that CEH has. Right. Um, but I'll never advocate for chasing certs. And so like CISP is probably great, but I don't find the knowledge valuable of CISSP from a knowledge perspective, but I do appreciate the, 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 the clout the cert gives you. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and to put it to, to even put it a finer point on it, my, I have not paid to renew my CISP. Like, so the, the, the security industry uh, certifications, there's always like a maintenance fee, right? Mm -hmm. This is like one of the big secrets of the industry if you're not, if you're new to it and it stinks. Yeah. And my, my CISP just came up for renewal like last month or something like that. And I was going to let it expire because I, I really, you know, when I got it, it was so celebratory for mm -hmm. me. I remember when I got it, it was a big deal. And now I look at it and I don't need it, frankly. Um, and I was going to let it expire, but because my company will pay for it, why why not persist? That's it? right. And, and I will just say this: I told my students actually this morning when I was uh, we were talking about certifications in class, like if you do get a cert and you're going to let it expire because you you can't afford to maintain or you don't want to maintain it, leave it on your resume and just put in parentheses expired next to it. Because it will get through tracking systems and it'll tell whoever's looking at it that expired. And whoever's looking at it probably understands that you let it expire because of maintenance fees, not because you forgot the knowledge. So you and I, you and I may disagree on this one. So, so I don't, I wouldn't even put expired on there. I've got two sand certs over here. There's this one. And there's one on a cabinet back over here. I don't put that they expired. My knowledge hasn't expired. Mm -hmm. Just because your CISP has lapsed doesn't mean your knowledge has expired. And no, I, I think that that's the that's the point that I want people to start thinking about is, you know, you still hold the knowledge that you gained from passing CISSP. You should be proud of it. You should show it off. You should. Who cares whether you you succumb to the renewal guard gods and the you know the CTU gods and the the continuing education gods, you know, and paying your maintenance fee to get your cert going? Who cares about that? You've already taken the content. You've already passed the cert. You have the knowledge. You should be proud of that. Just because you won't pay for it doesn't mean you take it off your resume or even put expired on your resume. All right. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, that's, that's a agree to disagree. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, for, for two me, different, it's just, two different opinions for the audience. 
Yeah. And they're both, they're both right. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, they're going to ask you about it and no one, it's not like you didn't get the cert, right. It's not, it's like, it's not this like putting a degree on your resume that you never earned is fraudulent, right? Right. Like, like you, you did have it. So, um, we've got, a. Uh, obviously a, a loyal, a loyal fan here. Uh, and I feel like I'm going to try to manage that this doesn't become cyber insecurity, um, like satellite stream, but, uh, can, can you share a humbling moment in your career, you know, uh, Neil and, and, uh, yeah, please, please. And, um, and I actually have a great one that I want to share. That's not my own. <laughs> absolutely. I'm not going to, um, I won't belabor the whole story that I told last Friday because it was actually quite emotional that I told last Friday, but, um, I, I learned in the military really quickly to do the right thing. And this is a story that I told to, to my audience last Friday, and I'll try to do the, the 10 second version. But when I was teaching combat instruction in Germany, um, um, you know, a, a number of years ago, I was a cadre in that, in, in, in that, and we were teaching people that when an IED goes off, you don't stop and shoot the bad guy. You drive the convoy all the way down, um, you know, past the, past the IED and then you come back later. Well, I was in a trail vehicle behind a Humvee and an IED goes off and the Humvee stops and starts shooting at the bad guys. And the rest of the convoy takes off down the road. I throw myself out of the vehicle, run around over to the passenger side and start yelling at the person who's in the Humvee bleakity bleak, 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 get your bleakity bleak, 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 butt back up there. How the bleakity bleak. I told you not to stop. It was just, it was very vulgar. I realized at the last minute that I was speaking to an officer at brass, brass oak leaves on his uh, on his shoulders i was talking to an officer so i sent him a long way and i called my superior officer up and i said i got to tell you something um tragic that happened we get back to the camp i told him that what had happened and um uh we go to do changeover that night and the officer pulls me off to the side and he says Amber bridges can i talk to you for a second i said yeah absolutely and he goes i've never in my entire air force career been yelled at by a senior airman, which is an E3 for those who are, are tracking military terms, right? And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's going to be, you know, you know, A1C here in a little bit because I'm going to lose a stripe for yelling at a major. And uh, and and uh, instead, he said, he said, thank you. He said, I, you know, you might have just saved my life. Um, I now will always have it ingrained in my head never to stop when an IED goes off and to keep the convoy running and and whatnot. And that moment touched me in a lot of different sense. I got very emotional about it last week when I talked about it on my stream. But when you talk about my most humbling moment, that was my most humbling moment where I saw ego really get pushed off to the side because somebody like myself did the right thing. And it was very well received. And it it showed me and it taught me for the rest of my Air Force career, for the rest of the, the adult career that I have now, that it is more important to do the right thing than to let your ego come into play. And that is something that I, from that personal experience, I carry with me every day. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic, man. And uh, it's, it's like really a great life lesson too, as far as like checking your ego at the door and, yeah. you know, being, being humble, right. You know, effectively. That guy, um, that guy could, that could, that guy could have gone a couple of different ways with it. He could have got really butt hurt about it. It could have, but he, he showed me what it was like to do exactly what you said. You check your ego at the door and you just realize you made a mistake and you just move on. I, yeah, I appreciate that. Another great question coming in here. Uh, and then after this question, we're going to, we're going to start the raffle and we're going to do, we're going to do the new segment and then we'll go back into the questions with the audience. I'm really excited about the new segment. Five questions. It's called <laughs> what the name of the segment is five questions. Okay. So this question was to me from uh, Fosachi. Uh, around how do I deal with burnout? Uh, let's let's make it a conversation, Neil. Yeah. Uh, I'll I'll go first since it was addressed to me. Um, so uh, you know, burnout's a real thing, and it doesn't matter. Like I, I feel like the hold on, whoops, whoops, hold on. <laughs> Listen, burnout's a real thing, and I feel like the blue, blue side of the house gets the brunt of like the attention mm-hmm. as far as like um, sock analyst burnout. You know, yeah. getting a call at whatever time and not be and working thirty six hour shifts and stuff like that, and and that's true. But, you know, I was an architect, I was doing GRC work. And I know we're going to get into GRC work later, Neil, trust me. But, uh, and I know it, it with the architecture work that I was doing in my, my last job, it, it's like, so demanding, mm-hmm. and meetings, 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 meetings. And once you get to the point where you have meetings from 
nine to five, like mm-hmm. when you get the work done, you get it done either during meetings or after hours or on weekends. And that's not sustainable, right? So this is how someone like me can reach burnout. Now, yeah. how, how do I deal with burnout? A couple different ways. One, I'm a runner. So, and I know uh, JJ Davey has talked about going boxing. Mm-hmm. I feel like physical exertion is a good way to pair the exhaustion of your mind with the exhaustion of your body. So your body can get into a biorhythm that like, okay, everything is tired. Let's fix the whole package versus a disparity between your mind is exhausted and your body feels fine. So you, you kind of like laying restless or feeling whatever. So I like, I like physical, um, activity. Um, and sometimes it just requires a change of pace. I had to quit my job. Um, I had to quit my job is the only way to get away from that particular situation. And, um, you know, some people just pull up the stakes and, and uh, leave in the middle of the night, like the Cleveland Browns did. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I made an effort to to go to my my bosses, my superiors, and say, "Hey, this isn't sustainable. Here are my concerns." I did that six months later. I did that uh, a lot of lip service, no action, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I ultimately had to make that decision. Now, granted, I'm lucky that I'm in a place where I can I can do that, uh, but. But that's that's how I deal with burnout. I either try to uh, make my make my overall biorhythm right and unplug a bit, uh, and then if it's you know if if that's not going to fix it long term, then I have to make a life change. Neil, what about you? How do you deal with burnout? Um, I'm not very well. <laughs> not very well. Um, I definitely not as scientific as you put it. You know, in terms of 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 you know figuring out the the difference between the physical and the mental burnout. I would agree with you that that I, I don't think burnout is necessarily specific to red team or blue team or GRC or anybody else. I literally think that that it does not matter how experienced you are. I don't care whether you've been in this industry for five minutes or five years or fifty years. You can experience burnout. I don't care what job you're doing in this industry. You can experience burnout. I think it is. I think everybody is susceptible to this, to burnout in this industry. And it is because we have, and I mean, we as in the, the consolidated cybersecurity, we have an unhealthy relationship with there is more I can do mentalities, right? Mm-hmm. We all want to do more. I think that that's what makes most of us very, very excited about cybersecurity is that we're always thinking about the next cool thing that we can do or the next thing that has to be done. You know, I know you, I give you crap about about GRC and things like that, but I mean, it is an equally important space that there is always something else to be done as much as there is on the blue side and on the red side. And I think that is that part of our just sheer nature in this industry that causes, I mean, look, I've been on a rabbit hole for the last week on on some technology that that I knew existed, but I'd never like focused my lasers in on it. And I've just been spending every researchable hour during the day researching it. And that's just like the mentality that we have in cyber. And so I don't deal with burnout very well. I don't deal with burnout. I'm still in the phase of burnout where I don't recognize that I'm in burnout until I'm burning, until it's on fire and the plane is going down type of thing. And, and a lot of, a lot of people around me will, will account for that. They'll be like, Neil, we see you're tired. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're distant in some meetings. You, um, you know, you're, you're, you're late to something or, you know, there's some indicator and I'm like, shoot, shoot, I'm not doing very well. And so I think what I'm on, I'm on the train that's trying to identify it better. And so I'm trying to find my my leading indicators um, of of burnout, and I think that that's that's and I, so I don't really have a good answer for you because I'm still trying to find all the different signs that I have going into burnout that tell me that I'm about to, about to be burnout. Yeah, um, well that that's an, that is an interesting different take on it. Um, and one thing that just occurred to me that I do want to share with the audience, this is a bit of a, a reveal, right? I, I think I maybe told a, a couple people like Jackson and, and John Helmus, but like just recently, just last week, um, you know, as Simply Cyber has gotten bigger um, and my DMs are open, I get, I get pinged a lot. I get pinged a lot. And I try to respond to people. I try to do what I can, but sometimes it's overwhelming. And last week, I kind of actually hit like a little bit of a burnout. Um, and I actually made like, I don't know if this is a therapeutic thing that people can do, but like, I literally took a picture of myself, like looking at the camera and just like, I didn't really try to look different. I just took a picture of what I look like. And then it, like, I looked at, it, I was like, I look horrible. And then I, I put like a little text next to it. And I put, I'm trying 
the best I can. And I was going to literally post it on LinkedIn and just tell people, because I felt compelled that I, that I owed the community myself and that I was failing them. And uh, just making that picture and looking at it actually was therapeutic for me to be like, you know what, I need to shut down for a minute. And, uh, you know, I, I got some great support on Discord about yeah. it um, indirectly. So there, there are, you know, tips and tricks and ways to address it. But, um, you know, it, it's a real, it's a real thing. I want to, I want to, I want to piggyback on that one real quick. Um, I, I can definitively say that I had burnout before I started cyber insecurity. I can say that I've had burnout since I've started cyber insecurity. And you, you hit on a key point there, right? You'd go into discord and you tell your community and they're incredibly supportive of you. I have found the, the, I'm trying to think of the, the, the best way to say this, right? The amount of support that a group of people can provide for you when you're burnout makes the world of difference in dealing with that burnout. This is why we created imposter syndrome channels in our discord. Why we created mental health channels in our discord is because, um, I, I mentioned it. I had dealt with burnout before I started cyber insecurity. I can definitely say I don't. I couldn't imagine dealing with burnout in a post cyber insecurity world. My community has been instrumental in helping me deal with burnout because of that that group hug factor that comes from having a community. And I want that to happen across all of cybersecurity, right? I want all of cybersecurity to embrace this concept that everybody needs help during burnout, and we all need to come together and not be you know, not be at each other's throats over stuff because it's happening to all of us all around us and we all need to support each other in it. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's true. It's true. Our community is very inclusive and no one really wants to ask for help, but you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's obvious or, you know, it's obvious to others. So yeah. great, great question. Thank you uh, for that question. So we could talk about it. All right. So now it's time for a special segment of the <laughs> channel. Five questions with Neil Bridges. Now uh, listen, uh, chat. I have, I want to keep this tight. So, well, first of all, um, we're going to be doing a giveaway for Blue Team Labs online uh, VIP membership. What I would like you to do um, in chat right now, let me actually do this, Narwhal. So, <laughs> so if you, if in, if in chat you type in hashtag Narwhal, I'll do it, I'll do it in chat right now myself, okay? Hashtag Narwhal, make sure, uh, N-A-R-W-H-A-L, right? Hashtag Narwhal. So drop hashtag Narwhal in chat and you'll get entered. So over the next five minutes, we're going to keep this time boxed. Okay. So I'm going to ask Neil five questions. And in order to keep them on time, I've, I've created some buzzers. Okay. So fans of Neil's show is going to know some of these, but here are our buzzer options uh, for today. We can do, we can mix through them, Neil, or we can pick ones, but here, here we go. Here's buzzer option one. I hope B sex on. Okay. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no XDR, Neil's favorite technology. Okay. Yeah. What yeah. buzzer option two? You picked a Fortune One company. Man. <laughs> okay. I, remember, I remember that. That's me flipping out uh, as I'm <laughs> pushed into a corner by Neil on his stream the other day. Buzzer option three. I do not need to be a secret basement dwelling orc. Good advice. You do not need to be a basement dwelling orc. Okay. Uh, we got a couple more options here. How do I spy on blockchain? <laughs> when you take the chain and you look at it really, really intently. Yep. <laughs> somebody's, like, some, some, somebody's been lurking on my TikTok. Yep, that's right. A <laughs> uh, uh, couple more buzzers here. Uh, second to last option. Let me, let me, what? let me. Oh, let me, oh, oh, okay. Let's do it. I was going to say, no, 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 hold on. That's, uh, that's Neil and I about to fight <laughs> on stream over third party risk management. And then the final buzzer option. Let me say that again. Let me say that again in case you missed it. Bug bounties are just unpaid pen tests. <laughs> yes. Finding bug bounties. So, Neil, is there any particular buzzer option you would like to use for this side question? I want to repeatedly hear you gripe about me uh, picking a Fortune 1 company. So let's use the Fortune 1 option. All right. Very good. <laughs> you picked a Fortune 1 company. The, 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 just the angst in your voice as you say that is 
it, greatest sound ever. <laughs> All right, question number one. And let me start the timer. Question one, Neil, okay? Okay. Right, let me get my, my face. Here we go. Starting the timer. What is the most frustrating security technology to you? Uh, can I, do I only have to pick one? <laughs> Uh, um, I would say in, in order, it's going to be CASB, DLP, and XDR. Um, CASB, I've never seen work, and I was at uh, RSA last year with a CISO conference, and the CISOs were like, the most disappointing technology they had was CASB because it did nothing like every, everybody had advertised it was going to be. DLP, because it requires so much uh, overhead from a data criticality, data discovery perspective that nobody gets it right, and therefore they just end up overtuning it, then undertuning it, and then it goes useless. And XDR, because who the frick knows what is even XDR these days? And so like it's the most frustrating technology because it doesn't even exist. It doesn't exist. Vaporware from the early 2000s. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I would agree with you 100%. Um, as far as DLP, for me, DLP is the biggest, uh, you know, trick the devil pulled on us, right? Like it, anyone, I've worked at organizations that doesn't have basic like MFA in place and the, they want to put DLP in. And it's like, mm -hmm. what are you doing? First of all, completely out of the question. Second of all, it's never going to work. So like, let's, let's just move on from that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Picked a Fortune One company. Okay. <laughs> okay. I love it. I love it. All right. What is what is the biggest myth in cybersecurity, Neil? Who? Um, that red teaming is the coolest job out there. Ooh, you really think that's a myth, huh? Go I absolutely on. think that's a myth. I absolutely think that's a myth. Um, I didn't say it wasn't cool. Make sure. What's the biggest myth? The myth is that it's the coolest. I spent my entire career on the offensive side. I can definitively say I had more fun doing and building incident response missions, threat hunting missions, threat hunting or threat intelligence mission sets than I than I did have doing red teaming. Interesting. The, hunting the bad guy, hunting the bad guy, there's something about that. The, the amount of impact you can have to protect an entire organization instead of hacking one little small segment of an organization. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think even with sports, the, the defense, it's less glamorous than the offense, but when it works, it's, it's particularly exciting. Yeah. yeah. I, I think one of the biggest myths in cybersecurity is that uh, you need higher ed or you need yeah. excerpts or you need this skill. Like you can be a high school dropout. Wait, are you, agree are you agreeing with me on the higher ed piece? What? No, it's a new well, 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 That's what I heard. Neil, what you heard was I'm saying it's a myth that it's required. Oh, okay. Right? Okay. You certainly don't need a PhD in cyber operations to work in the field. But oh, it looks like we're out of time for that one. Fortune One company, man. Okay, so flipping it on the other side. What's a cybersecurity truth that seems to go under the radar? Oh, basic hygiene. Do the basic hygiene stuff like and, and whether you're on the red side or the blue side, right? If you're on the red side, everybody thinks you got to be so focused with the latest zero day. You got to be so focused with the latest attack technique. Jerry, you just talked about MFA, right? So many organizations out there are still failing at MFA. I've been in organizations where it's taken them two years to deploy MFA after they've had a breach where MFA would have stopped the breach. And so I think that the biggest myth is everybody is chasing the biggest, the best, shiniest, brightest zero-day technology malware next-gen X out there when basic hygiene continues to be the simplest thing. Yeah, I, I wish we had talked beforehand because I, I look like I'm just like, echoing you, uh, which is frustrating. Well, I mean, that's that's what that's how it is, but that's that's okay. Uh, but so, so I would agree hundred percent. Like one of the biggest truths that is most frustrating to me is that uh, CISOs, organ, you know, people in power, positions of power, um, throw money at solutions yeah. because I, I feel a they don't understand what problem they're trying to solve, and a vendor's telling them the problem that they're solving, or b when you buy a technology, you immediately buy yourself six months more of career runway because you could be reporting that oh we we're purchasing oh we're integrating up oh, we're tuning up oh, we're up and running we're you know like like you buy yourself runway and then if it fails you just buy another piece of technology you blame it on the technology you blame it on the implementation we didn't have enough money to integrate it we didn't have enough people we weren't trained appropriately oh it's an it's an infinite loop of excuses yeah yeah it really is okay hope 
you picked a Fortune One company, man. But, but like, okay, okay. I I might have to pick a different uh, chime by accident. <laughs> uh, why? Yeah, you see, you you realize how beautiful that sound is to listen to you get pegged into a quarter every time. Yep. So next question: uh, What is your favorite hacker slash cybersecurity movie of all time? Um. I'm I'm torn on this. I have a few, right? I love war games. Hands down, I love war games. Mm-hmm. I love sneakers. I love sneakers. I think that's all those are awesome ones as well. Um I, there's a couple of obscure ones that I think are out there that um um you know, I don't think people people really talk about too much. Um and I'm not talking like Swordfish or anything like that. Actually, um Swordfish I think is a fun movie to watch, but uh um you know, like uh, a Body of Lies right where um you know they've got this you know this hacker that helps you know create all these fake personas to try to blackmail a terrorist type of thing i think there's a lot of hacker moments in a lot of movies that i think are out there um but i think we were to go to strict straight hacker movies war games and sneakers are tied for first for me yeah absolutely god you know we really should talk So I will say War Games is my number one, okay, because, uh, you know, I was born in 79. The movie came out in 83. I didn't see it in the theater, obviously. But um, but the fact that he was able to change his grades, that was, like, you know, oh, magical. Yeah. And then he does a little bit of um, kind of, like, hardware hacking where he, he like, tricks the door open. Lo- loved that. Another sleeper hit that I'd like to drop is The Net with Sandra Bullock. Oh, yeah. Okay. I yeah. found that to be a pretty good one uh, as far as, you know, what could happen when people... Oh, you have, you have no idea how many times I control-clicked on, like, parts of the screen looking for, like, hidden doors and websites after I saw that movie. I was hooked. I love it. <laughs> I do not need to be uh... a <laughs> basement-dwelling orc. All right. Final question, Neil. What cybersecurity job would you not take no matter what they offered you? Compensation vacations, whatever, what job would you not take? This answer is, would be different today than even a year ago, maybe even two years ago, definitely different than five years ago, definitely, you know, different than 2013 when I got out of the air force, but I'm leaning closely to where I don't think I ever want a CISO job. I, um, for any company, for any company at all. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I haven't fully committed myself to that yet, but, um, you know, I'll tell you, I'll, t- I'll, I'll put it to you this way. I have oftentimes considered reevaluating my entire personal business operating model so that I could simply go back to being a pen tester, a threat hunter, an instant responder. Yeah. There is something nice about being hands on keyboard and, and, uh, you know, being involved with that piece of it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, when I, and I say the, the reason that's significant is because like the, the day that I got out of the air force, when I did my interview with fidelity, I was like, I'm going to be a CISO when I grow up. Like, that's it. Like I'm, I'm eyes are set on CISO. And, um, the closer I've gotten to that sun, the hotter it has gotten. And the more I'm like, and, and the closest I came was when I was interviewing with it, when I left Abbott, um, and I just realized not only the the business side that that I was that I'd been training for and prepping for and learning for and you know I was doing the deputy role and I was like the next in command and I was like I was basically it. But then the then I got hit with a next level role of politics as I was going through the interview process, and that was the first time that I had that taste in my mouth where I was like, Nah, no, nah, I'm good. I think I think I'm good for this. Yeah, that, that's, uh, yeah, it really is tough. Uh, like I operate in, in a CISO capacity, but I, because it's a smaller team, I get to do a lot of the nerd stuff too, yeah. which I really love. Uh, for me, I wouldn't want to be cyber czar for the United States. I, no? I, I just, I don't, no, I don't think I would sleep. What's, your, uh, what's I, your dream job? What's your dream job in cyber? Like what is the, it doesn't have to be a job description that exists right now. What is, what is the job role or the job description that, that you would consider your dream job in cyber? Oh boy. Um, well, you know, I thought it was CISO, uh, and I'm, I'm exploring that right now to see if that's what, what I want. But, but to your point, there is a lot of stuff that goes with it. That is not cybersecurity, which mm-hmm. is where my, where my passion, yeah. uh, truly lies. Um, 
you know, I, I, I guess it, I wouldn't call it a dream job, but like a kind of an ideal job would be, it would be nice to work on a blue team, but in like a, a, a not highly targeted industry. So like not a blue team. <laughs> oh, so you want to be lazy. Got it. You want to be lazy. You want to be a lazy blue teamer. No, I, I, would, I would like to be a blue teamer that has the opportunity and time to dig into things instead of just like fire, like, you know, like, like shut the port down, shut this down. Like, just move on to the next thing, like alert fatigue. I, I, so... You, yeah, you, you're the best, Neil. You're the best. <laughs> Peace, I clipped that. Okay. All right. So let me let me let's do the draw here. Hopefully, okay. you guys enjoyed. Uh, you enjoyed um, five questions with Neil. Uh, give me the feedback and chat about whether or not you enjoyed that segment. And I'll do more of that. Okay. So here, here's the screen. I have no idea how this is going to work, guys. Like I uh, I normally use the Streamyard giveaway, but we're on a different platform. So I've got a hashtag Narwhal. We're going to go ahead and draw for a um for a uh blue team labs online uh thing okay that, here we that's go okay. that's okay guys if, if this screws up you can always come over to my stream on friday and i'll give it away on friday <laughs> oh, oh, oh okay let's do it yep. <laughs> right oh, okay so it says video has uh comments disabled so it looks like we're not doing that okay well that was fun uh <laughs> Jesus. All right. Well, so that's not happening. So please join Neil tomorrow morning uh, on Friday Tea with a Hacker. Uh, we're going to be giving away my blue team laugh online on a stream that works. Okay. So let's move on. Okay. I, I'm, I'm sending you hearts, Jerry. I'm sending you yeah, hearts. I appreciate that. Yeah. Please, please, please drop some emotes, uh, blue hearts in the chat for me, please. Like hearts and prayers go out to me, right? Right. Um, right. Um, okay, so let's pick some questions from the audience. They are being savage right now. Um, so that's that's fine. I do like have, like this is great. I love having chat right here. Um, let's see. I'm not even going to read. I just what about when you're job searching? They want a certain numbers and they don't want to be seen as dishonest. Oh wait, I think she was talking. This is back when we were saying don't um, whether to put expired or not put expired. I think on that one. So yeah. that was the question. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll look for the cue here. Um, uh, Neil and Gerald, you're both hiring managers looking for people to hire for sock. What do you guys look for in a candidate? So, Neil, you want to go first? What would you hire for? And let, let's try to keep it like two two minutes, yeah, on responses. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'll tell you the top three things that I look for. Right, number one thing is I look for heart. I look for that fire in that belly. That's what I'm looking for. Right. The second thing that I'm looking for is I'm looking for you to be able to communicate and be able to hold a conversation, intelligent conversation, preferably about whatever topic that I happen to throw your way. Right. And then the third is, um, you know some level of honesty and integrity. And and so when you look at a lot of my questions that I ask, a lot of my questions are really geared around those three types of things, basically to make sure that, you know, I'm not going to hate you having to work with you some number of hours. If I'm in a foxhole in an incident with you, I'm not going to like want to rip your head off type of thing. Yeah. Would you want to have a layover uh, at an airport with this person? Yeah. yeah. For, for me, it's, it's a lot about um, initiative and proactivity. That's kind of the key thing that I like to look for. Like, okay, so you want to be a SOC analyst. Like, what have you done that someone didn't make you do? What did you do for yourself that helps you get that, um, get that skill or get that uh, experience or put you in a position to be uh, here today in this interview, right? Like, do, are you doing range force? Are you a top uh, percentage in, in try hack me? Uh, do you network? Do you volunteer? Do you go to conferences? Do you speak at conference? Like what, whatever it is, tell me what you're doing. Um, that is about you driving yourself because I feel firmly in this, uh, what I'm about to say, I feel firmly that in our industry, it's imperative that you can you can be agile and move on your own feet. Yes, you can receive mentorship and guidance from me as your boss or whatever you want to call it. But at the end of the day, like I need to be able to give you minimal uh, direction and have you take action. And then if you in, if you incur an impediment, come back to me and let's let's take out that obstacle and keep moving. It can't be like, all right, let me stop and like basically tell you exactly everything that you have to do, like verbatim and account for all the different kind of per, um, uh, permutations that may occur. And, and, and it just doesn't work. So I, I need you to have that thirst for proactivity and initiative. Yeah. Neil ever had imposter syndrome? Oh just God. Yeah. I did. I did a whole video on imposter syndrome. And if you actually uh, head over to my YouTube channel, I've got an 11 minute video 
um, of four things, four actionable things that you can do to defeat imposter syndrome. Because yes, even to this day, I get imposter syndrome. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've had imposter syndrome, uh, periodically, some, you know, oftentimes right before a job interview, you're kind of like, Oh, you know, like, what do I know? Um, I will tell you the, probably the, the highlight or the height of my imposter syndrome. So for those of you who don't know, I, and you know, to, to Neil chagrin, I have a PhD and I have a PhD. doesn't matter. And the people who went through my PhD program with me are incredibly smart. Like some of the smartest people I've ever encountered in my life. And when you, they're the peers that you're basing yourself on, right? You're all sitting in the same table talking. You feel like I felt like an idiot, like an absolute fool. Um, and you know, it's, it's just because I'm comparing myself to them. So like, you feel, you know, I was like, what the hell, like, what am I doing here? Like, how, how do, how do I, how did I end up here? Uh, but you know, it, it all worked out and you know, it's, it's just, they're just that smart. Um, as I, as I like to pay it, uh, say yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, what can we do to support each other when we see a coworker starting to go through burnout in the industry? Great question, Jess. Um, I think I'd, I think I'd say like, just, you know, be direct with them, right? I offer support. Is there, um, is there anything I can take off your plate? Is there, you know, do you, do you need to go, do you need to leave work early? Do you need to, you know, Hey, can, can I bring you some lunch? Can I bring you a Coke or a water? Right. Um, not some Coke, a Coke, not some Coke. Let's just make that clear. Right. Um, you know, you know, I, I think when we talk about when Jerry and I talk about um, the support our communities give us um, between Simply Cyber and Cyber and Security, when we go through burnout, I think what we want to do is it's even the little things of being able to say, I recognize that you're going through burnout. I'm sorry you're going through burnout. I want to do something to help you. Please let me help you. Like it's it's the little things that help because I don't think you realize until you're in that burnout. It's every little thing that piles up to get you to that burnout. And so every little thing that gets taken off is one less stressor for you, Jerry. Yeah. I mean, I like it, it depends on the relationship between you and the person having the burnout on how you can respond to it, in my opinion. So if you are a superior to that person in, in an operating capacity where you can actually do things to influence their work life, um, intervening and either removing something from them or, uh, I'm a big fan of like, hey, you know, like you've been working your butt off. Like, why don't you just take this Friday off? And like, mm -hmm. let's not screw around with HR and PTO and back hours and all this other stuff. Just take Friday off. Like, yeah. I'm cool with it. Have a three day weekend. Like, you know, like hopefully, you know, something like, oh, you, your kids got a soccer game this weekend. Like, go enjoy it, you know. Um, and, and if it's more of a peer situation, then, I, you know, personally, I always find just listening works. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of burnout is people pent up uh dealing with something that they feel they have no way to uh deal with or or, or let out and I, I personally have found that when i just ask someone hey you know it seems tough do you want to talk about it uh and if you just listen i know it's a hard skill it's simple to say but it's a hard skill to actually listen without inter intervening and interrupting and in starting to put your own story into their story um it goes a long way. Like listening is a, is, is a great way to handle that. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Um, looking for questions. Um, Nightbot. I, I, I got a tune Nightbot. Uh, people, <laughs> trying to email, people are trying to do all this stuff. Um, uh, here you go. Uh, just, just, uh, this is just a random, <laughs> random pull. Random pull. Uh, DK. See. Good to see you, DK. Yeah. Uh, but this is this is the response I got in return. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Where is our questions uh, here? Deb Nolzen asks, do you think the GRC is behind the times in relation to cloud and containerization? 800-190 is all about this, I would assume is what he's trying to say. I'm not familiar with SpecPub 800-190. Uh, but, you know, I guess, Neil, do you want to take this first or... Um, I, I'm trying not to be cynical and be like GRC is behind on everything. Um, that's more of a jab at you than anything else. Um, so, so a little history behind this question. I, I, Devil's in is one of my mentees and he is doing a fantastic job of really quickly becoming a cloud and containerization expert. Like, I think he's really, right. he's found his, he's found his groove in cybersecurity where he, this is where he, he feels very, very comfortable. And so um, I'm super proud of him for being able to ask a question like this because he's come a really long way in just his understanding of cloud and containerization. Um, <clears throat> I don't think any publication that NIST puts out 
will ever be as up to date as what's happening in the industry. And I don't care whether it's in response, I don't care whether it's security architecture, I don't care whether it's zero trust or GRC and cloud containerization, right? Um, the, the review cycle for those documents is just too long, which is why, in Jerry, I don't know if you agree or disagree with this one or not, but like when we think about like um, NIST assessments or when we think about um, maturity assessments that come through from a big four, that's why they simply take derivatives of the NIST guidance to make their grading assessments because NIST just doesn't keep up with, you know, growth the same way the rest of the industry does. And that's why you usually rely on a big four who could be a little bit more agile, adjust their grading criteria, adjust the things that go into that, um, you know, and use basically the community way of doing, you know, you know, kind of derivatives of the, the SP to get you to where you need to, to make a, a, a logical assessment in that. So Jerry, I don't know if you got a feel on that or not. I know you just did yeah. a maturity assessment and a risk assessment, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm doing an enterprise risk assessment right now. Um, but I, I, so the way I feel about it is somewhat similar to Neil. I feel like NIST puts out very good, very comprehensive um, information that can be utilized by cybersecurity practitioners, but it only gets you like 60% of the way. Uh, you have to adjust it. You have not modernize it, but you have to make it. Um, kind of extrapolate it to mm -hmm. like current tech, current state, uh, because because to Neil's point, um, things do change quite often. And if you look at, you know, I mean, even the NIST 853 control catalog, which mm -hmm. is like the granddaddy of it all. I mean, it's like three, four years before they update it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's the one that they're giving the most love to. So uh, I, I think, you know, I, I, I'm a NIST spec pub, like, guy right like i love that stuff um but but it isn't the end all be all bible it's just a great way to get going and um you know and, and go from there and that's why things like cis baselines uh you know those are better because they're they're adapted a little bit more and then you can fill in the blanks where nist has like organizational value and stuff like that if you're looking for a study reference kind of roadmap right i would always use the nist guidelines to familiarize yourself with with to to Jerry's point, right? The the foundational knowledge, the the stuff that that kind of the sixty percent that's there, but that forty percent, that's either going to come from talking to people, talking to companies, going out to the community, reading documentation, white papers, and things like that that's out there. But if you're like, hey, I'd like to know more about X, I, I want to know more about incident response. Go read the NIST guidelines. Yeah, it's definitely it definitely frames it. It's it's great framing. It's not the sheetrock. It's the framing. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to Sheet Music. Uh, sheet Music, congratulations that uh, oh. on landing a sock position. Very very happy for you. Oh, I might even have a. Uh, here we go. Yes. Same. Getting getting my money's worth on the soundboard. Yeah. Um, all right. So just talking about cloud, really quick, Neil. Um, when should one get a cloud, sir, to get into cloud? Now, if you're not already, you're behind. Like, I yep. mean, it's that, it's that easy, right? If you're, if you're not doing something in the cloud right now and you're in cybersecurity, regardless of whether you're at technical, non-technical, red, blue, it doesn't matter. If you're not investing some portion of your self-learning time into cloud, you're behind the curve. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I would I would encourage you to pick a platform, right? I, I've been pushing people to Azure lately mm. because of their uh, market um, um, uh, footprint. Uh, it's only getting bigger. All the training on Azure is free, right? So there's no reason for you not to get it and not study it. And you can spin up an instance of Azure for free. Um, I actually saw a wicked awesome video the other day. Uh, a fellow on link, uh, excuse me, a fellow on YouTube whose channel I don't remember right now. His name's Josh something. Um, he actually shows a video of getting into Azure, building a VM that's going to be a honeypot, standing up Sentinel, doing log analytics to pull the, the things up into it, and then using PowerShell to, to like look up the, uh, the IP to yep. geolocation and then mapping it. It's like a 45-minute video. It's fantastic. And Neil, the best part about this is that at the beginning of the video, he says, this is what we're going to do in this video. And he's like, when you're done with it, you can put this. And he like does a yeah. cutout. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it's a resume. It's like three resume bullets of like basically yeah. Sock Sim and, uh, engineer. And it's like brilliant. So yeah, yeah Josh McAdore. Thank you, Stacey. 
Um, so it, it's it's great. So check that out. You uh, mentioned that you mentioned you mentioned the Azure training not to do not to leave AWS out in the the cold, but they did just finally make good on their prim- promise that they made at the White House recently and making a ton of of training free. Most of the AWS training is now available. I know DevNull Zen has this. I don't know if you have a mod that's grabbing your links or if people can post links in chat. Yeah, but yeah, tell tell somebody whatever that mod is. But Devnil Zen's got a link where they've now allowed all the AWS training completely and totally for free. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, if Devnil Zen could just drop it in chat, that'd be good too. Yeah, yeah. Um, if if Dev's got it. Yeah. If not, uh, base is in there. Um, so, um, okay. Let, let's do a couple more questions, and then I have one more question for you, uh, Neil, and then and then we'll round out because uh, it's we're getting long here. Um, how do you manage your time? <laughs> Again, something else I don't do very well. Um, I've gotten better about it. Um, I used to be, um, and, and I blame the military for this, right? Um, I used to be like like four hours of sleep. That was all I needed, right? And for a while, that, that was true. For a while, you know, I was like four hours of sleep. That's all I needed to, to, to be sufficient for, you know, 20 hours in a day. Um, I thoroughly believe that, um, so when I got back from RSA last year, right before COVID, um, I had had a pretty significant health incident um, that, that kind of scared me pretty bad. Um, that was the moment where I realized that I was physically unhealthy and that was contributing exponentially to the burnout that I was getting mentally as well, right? And so like I stopped doing that whole like, oh, I only need four hours of sleep and I actually started like listening to my body. I need eight hours of sleep, right? And obviously when you double the amount of sleep you get, you take four hours out of your working day. And so I'm like, oh, shoot. You've been listening to Simply Cyber with me, Dr. Gerald Dozier. I invite you to check out Simply Cyber YouTube channel for richer content, links, and live stream engagement. You can find hundreds of free cybersecurity training resources that I've curated at simplycyber.io. Talk to you next time.